Well, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Prophet Isaiah chapter 60. We're going to look at the entire chapter this evening, Isaiah 60, The Shining City. We'll begin reading at verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are those who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roosts? Surely the coastland shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day or night. The men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. For the nation and the kingdom which shall not serve you shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet, and they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel." Whereas you've been forsaken and hated so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk the breasts of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron. I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended." Also your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Amen. Well, let us pray. 
Our great God, we are thankful for the promise of the city of Zion, and we're thankful for the everlasting city that awaits us, but we're thankful for uh, the fact that we come to Zion even now. We're thankful that we ought to shine as a light in this crooked and perverse generation because we are in he who is the light. Thank you that Christ is the light. Thank you that the Lamb is the light. Thank you that he is the one uh, in whom there is life and hope and peace. And we're thankful that in that heavenly city, he shall be the one who shines day and night. And we're thankful for that promise as we walk in darkness. We're thankful for that hope that we have as we still deal with remaining corruption that we truly are a people of the light, and one day we shall go to a place where there is no night. So thank you for this hope that we have. Thank you for this encouragement that we have, that truly this city is coming in, this kingdom is coming in, and we are part of that city. Thank you for that citizenship that we have in heaven because of Christ we are conformed uh, to him and will be conformed to his heavenly body when he returns but we're thankful for all the promises that we have in him, in that new covenant, because of what Christ has done. So we ask that you be with us tonight by your spirit. Please illumine our hearts and minds. Please encourage us as we come and consider your word and consider these prophecies of the new creation. And we ask and pray that you'd edify us. We ask and pray that you convict us. We ask and pray that you would save sinners. And we pray in all things you would be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, it's no surprise to you that the world is a very dark place. It's dark, literally, as we're driving here, I noticed that this place is filled with darkness, but it's also filled with sinfulness, wickedness, uh, and utter depravity in this fallen world. And certainly that was the case for Israel as well. The people of Israel were supposed to be that light. They were supposed to be the ones that spread God's glory to the ends of the earth, but rather they continually rejected the Lord God Most High, and they continually broke his covenant, and they went their own way rather than his ways. And as a result, they are sent into captivity. But thankfully, Isaiah gives us this promise of hope before they ever go into captivity. We have this promise of the city that was once or will be forsaken, uh, that city that will be plunged into darkness. One day that light shall shine again. There is this promise for the remnant as the remnant is going to go into captivity, as the remnant is going to be taken away by Babylon, there is this promise that one day the city of Jerusalem, the city of Zion shall shine once again. It shall be greater than its former self, greater than its former days, greater than its greatest era that it has ever seen or ever had. Zion shall be a prosperous, just, and a shining uh, city. And it won't be just for the Israelites. Zion shall draw people from afar. The Gentiles shall be drawn in. The Gentiles shall come from afar and be part of this fair city. Now, we must understand the context for us when we consider Isaiah. Remember, he is prophesying primary to the south. Again, this is the time of the divided kingdom. We saw Hosea was prophesying to the north about around the same time. Uh, but Isaiah is in the south during the 8th century. We saw last time in Isaiah 55, chapters 40 through 55, talk about exile, presuppose the people going into exile. But then chapters 56 through 66 uh, looks past exile, looks to the restoration, looks to this messianic age, looks to the time when David's city, when David's throne, when da Zion shall be restored. And really what we see throughout this section is this incoming of the Gentiles. The Gentiles shall be brought in. Those that were once outside the city shall be allowed to come into this city. And really what we see here is a promise and picture of that new creation. 
There's going to be universal blessing that comes. It's going to come from Zion, and it's going to come from Zion's king. That's why those servants are so important in Isaiah 40 through 55. 42, 49, 50, 53, pop quiz after the service. Again, I didn't do it last time, but maybe we'll do it today. But the servant is important. We see what he has won for his people. We see what he has purchased for his people. And we see that here in Isaiah 56 through 66. We see his effect and what he brings for an undeserving people. Because the problem is very clear in these verses. Similar problem we saw this morning is the problem of darkness. The problem of a city that has plunged into darkness. A problem of a city that is unjust. A problem that is of a city that has no light. Darkness is descriptive of chaos, descriptive of sin. And Israel has descended into darkness during the time of Isaiah's prophecies. Certainly man descended into darkness in his sin, even though God was good to him, even though God still continued to reveal himself by way of creation in a general way, man continually rejects God. But the hope is the light of the world will come, and the hope is the shining light of Zion will shine to the ends of the earth. The city that has become a husk of itself will be prosperous again, And the reason is because of its light, because of its shining light. And that's what Isaiah wants us to see. In Isaiah 60, we see Isaiah provides a prophecy of hope about how the city of Zion will be a shining light, how this fair city will shine again, how this city will be one who draws people from afar. So it's all about the city of Zion being a shining city. And we'll look at it under three headings this evening. First of all, we'll see the city's shining light in verses 1 through 7. Secondly, we'll see the city's welcoming light in verses 8 through 18. Then lastly, we'll see the city's everlasting light in verses 19 through 22. So the shining light, the welcoming light, and the everlasting light. So let's first look at the shining light in verses 1 through 7. Again, the context is important. It's prophesying that messianic age, this post-exile. But we see in Isaiah 59, as Isaiah 59 starts... Uh, Isaiah prophesies and talks about and speaks to the people how they are a people who are wicked, who are sinful, how they have done vile things. They confess that sin. And then in verses 16 through 21, we see how God is going to be the one who redeems Zion. He's going to be the one who restores her. God saw her and was displeased because there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm will bring salvation. Therefore, his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on his righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He will bring it about. And then we see in Isaiah 59, 21, we see sort of this new covenant of sorts. It's almost like Jeremiah 31, but in Isaiah. Isaiah 59, 21. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I've put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. And the important thing to note there is the Spirit. We see in Isaiah 42 that the Spirit is going to be poured out upon the servant 
without measure. We know that John applies that to Christ. Christ has the spirit without measure uh, as he engages in office as mediator. But we also see that this, uh, the spirit is then poured out and will be poured out upon Zion. We see that very clearly in verse 21. This is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you. The spirit shall be upon this city. The spirit shall be part of and part and parcel of that blessed new covenant. And so after the servant does his work, after the servant engages in his task, as he conquers, as he's obedient, as he suffers, as he's just, as he has the spirit, he then will pour out the spirit, uh, which is what we see in Acts chapter 2. And so what is a result of that is that this city is now going to shine uh, as a light. And so we see that in verses 1 through 3, this shining light. And we see it's a command to start. O city... You know, I'm just adding that. O city, arise and shine, for your light has come. And we see this image here. The imagery that is in view here is the idea of the rising sun. A new day is dawning. Hope is rising for this people that have been plunged into darkness. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And as we consider the Old Testament, redemptive historical unfolding, we see the idea of the light to the Gentiles in Isaiah 42 and 49. If I say 42, 49, 50, and 53 a lot as we look at Isaiah, uh, it's a probably an important thing to remember because we see that what the servant does is he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. Just like we read this morning, or brother Howie read this morning in Isaiah 9, that well, the child will be that light. The child will be the one who comes and shines. And so the idea is the light is important, the light that shines in the darkness. And certainly Zion is meant to be that city that is meant to shine as a light. It's no longer meant to be a place filled with sin. It's no longer meant to be a place that is away from God, who is the light, but God shall be their light. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So the shining glory of the Lord, the idea of his presence will be with them. He is the one who will give it its light. And certainly we see his glory in Exodus 33 and 34, which we're going to look at over the next two Sundays. Uh, the, the evening series has been our, our passages that kind of allude back to John chapter 1, which we're looking at in the morning. And we see the one who is God, the one whose glory that they beheld. The word became flesh and they beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. They wants us to see, John wants us to see that the word is God. The word who dwells with us. And certainly this language is here as well. The glory of the Lord, his presence shall be with his people. If one is not with God, when one falls short of the glory of God, what are they falling short of? His presence his shining presence, his living presence, his favorable presence. When one falls short, they're falling short of being with God forever and being under the rays of his light. And so the glory of the Lord has risen now upon Zion, again, prophesying into the future. But notice we need, the reason we need this light is because there is darkness, verses two and three, the light will shine. There's gonna be darkness outside the city. And Revelation 21 talks about those who are outside the city. In the Old Testament, those who are outside the city were cursed. In the book of Genesis, when Adam is kicked outside the garden, it is a place of cursing. 
And outside the city, out of the place where this light shines, it is a place of darkness. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Lord will be that light who shines in that city. Darkness brings death, but light brings life. And as a result of that, in a place filled with darkness, if people are walking in darkness and there's only one place to find light, well, that's going to be in Zion. So the world shall come, verse 3. The Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Isaiah 2 also prophesies about a time when the Gentiles shall be streaming into Zion and they shall say, come and let us go to the house of the Lord. Come and let us worship in Zion. And so this is what Isaiah is prophesying. The city shall shine, Zion shall shine, and the Gentiles shall be brought in, which is a key theme uh, in these latter verses, uh, latter chapters of the book of Isaiah. So it's the shining light, the people shall shine, but notice it's also an inviting light in verses four through seven. The people are going to be drawn to this light. And so he says to the city, verse four, lift up your eyes all around. See, they all gather together, they come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. We see exile imagery. That is the people of Israel who've been scattered to the ends of the earth, they shall be brought back. The sons who are afar and the daughters who are afar, they shall come back and they shall learn, they shall be nursed by and at your side. Again, this is eschatological imagery here. He's talking about the old, using old creation language describes something about the messianic age and the wonderful and blessed new creation, what life will be like when there is that return from exile. And so there shall be radiant, then you shall see and become radiant. Your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you and the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Your people shall return but not just you, the Gentiles shall come as well. And notice the wealth of the Gentiles. They shall bring all that they have. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you, verse 5, end of verse 5. Uh, continuing into verse 6 and 7, the multitude of camels shall be your cover. The dromedaries, young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. The Gentiles shall speak of the good news of the Lord. We see the language of good news in Isaiah 52. The good news of those who preach. How beautiful are they who preach the blessed good news. How beautiful are they who preach the blessed promise of everlasting life. This wonderful report that comes. The good news we also saw in Nahum as well. The glad tidings that shall come. It shall be on the lips of Gentiles. That is difficult for a Jew to grasp, isn't it? <laughs> for a Jew to understand that Gentiles would come and they would give such praise to God. But they shall come, come from all over, bring their riches with them. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall all come to the Lord. They shall all come to Zion. They shall bring their wealth into that place. But then notice, we see that they shall come and they shall worship the Lord. They'll bring their wealth for a specific reason. They'll bring it to his house and they shall ascend with acceptance on my altar. And I will glorify the house of my glory. We see in Isaiah 56, which starts off the new section, verse seven. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain, even the sons of foreigners and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. 
Again, he's using old covenant language to describe something about new covenant realities. For them, for him to say, there's going to be this one who comes, and he's going to die, and he's going to shed his blood once for all. That would have been hard for them to grasp. And so he's using this old covenant, this, uh, the Isaiah is using this language, old covenant uh, imagery, to point ahead, to look ahead to the coming of the new covenant, the coming of the new covenant mediator. And we know who that is according to Hebrews. We know who the one who fulfills all these things. Why is it that the Gentiles can be accepted? It's because of Christ and his once for all sacrifice. Then we see in the book of Acts that God spreads his glory to the ends of the earth as Gentiles come in. You see the application, the, the fulfillment comes and it starts with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But all the people shall come. But continuing on in Isaiah 56, 7. They will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Remember Jesus got mad when he turned the tables over because Israel was not functioning like the, the people that they should have. They were treating the house of the Lord like a den of thieves. And so he turns the table. We see that's in context of Christ judging the old covenant people, making way for the new covenant that comes in him. And so the similar language is in Isaiah 60 with that idea of, I will glorify the house of my glory. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar. And the reason they can do that is because of that once for all sacrifice. Gentiles shall be brought in to the house of the Lord. They, are, they see that light, they come to it, and they, uh, they come to that city, and they bring their goods with them. Now, as far as application goes, we're going to kind of move from the initial fulfillment to what it means for us, and then we'll see what it means forever. But obviously, we know who the light of the world is, right? We know who the light is that shines. We know from John 9 that Christ is the light of the world. We know from what we saw this morning, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. We saw, see John 1, 14, the glory of the only begotten. We see it is Christ who shines. Christ is that shining star. Christ is the one whom the Magi brought golden incense to. There are many passages in the New Testament that allude back to Isaiah 60. And certainly Matthew 2.11 has Isaiah 60 in view. These men come from afar and they bring what? As they see that star in the east, that shining star, pointing them to the one who is the light. Pointing them to the one who, in whom there is light and hope and peace and it comes in him. Christ is the one who shines in the dark place. He is the one who brings life by his coming and by his illumination. He is the light of the world. And the reason the city can shine is because of he who is the light of the world. And if you're an unbeliever here today, believe on him. You are in darkness. Here is this great light. The blind man in John 9, you are like him before Christ opened his eyes. You are blind but Christ can, by his power, can make you see, believe upon him, and look to him. Otherwise, you're outside that city. You are wandering in darkness. You do not know where you're going, but there is one whom you can look to, who will guide you if you believe upon him and look to him. Christ is that shining light. He is the city's shining light. He really is the light of the world, drawing people to Zion. So that's the city's shining light but thankfully, the city is welcoming. And so we have the city's welcoming light in verses 8 through 18. 
So it shines, draws people in, but the gates will be open. Or I guess they'll be open for a time. But we see in verse 8 the question, who may come? Who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roost? The image here is of speed and safety. They're going to come and flock quickly. They're going to come to this place of safety. And when a city is not functioning with justice, when a country is not functioning uh, well for the prosperity of their people, people will look for help elsewhere. And they'll look for aid elsewhere. They'll look for hope elsewhere. And certainly they'll find safety in Zion. We're going to see imagery further of how in Zion, in this fair city, there shall violence shall no longer be heard of in your land. <laughs> we don't want violence in the land. We want there to be a safe place where we can be. And Zion is going and is that place, going to be and is that place. So people shall come quickly and they shall find safety in their roost, safety in their home, because there is truly uh, no place like home. But look at those who make their way, who come from afar. Verse 9, surely the coastlands shall wait for me. And the ships of Tarshish will come first. Again, Isaiah 42, 49 in view here once again. They shall come from afar. The ships shall come from afar, from far off places to Zion, to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. It's a result of what the servant has purchased, this just servant in Isaiah 49. He brings this. He brings this about that those from afar can come to this fair city, to the name of the Lord God, to the Holy One of Israel. And notice, because he has glorified the city. You see, the people of God are meant to reflect God's glory. As we're in the presence of God and we learn more from God, we are meant to reflect his, uh, his glory. He has a perfect glory, but we are meant to reflect it. When we are glorifying him, he is glorified and we are glorified with him because he has glorified you. He is the one who uplifts. He is the one who makes that city shine. He is the one who makes it good. If we came by ourselves, if we came in our own ways, we would destroy that city. We would be that black spot in the city. But thankfully, in Jesus Christ, we are washed white as snow and we shine because we are in him. And the city itself shines as well. And so it welcomes. It is a blessed place. They shall come from afar. And he continues this welcoming language in verses 10 through 12. The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath, I struck you. God did strike down Jerusalem, didn't he? God did send Jerusalem into captivity, but we see, and he did so by way of foreigners. But now the sons of foreigners shall come and build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. But in my favor, I've had mercy upon you. And we see after, because of his mercy, the gates are open. Verse 11, therefore your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. It's open for all to come and serve. There is no ethnic distinction in this new Zion. However, there is assimilation to some degree, isn't there? We cannot bring our idols. We cannot bring our former ways when we come into this city, we come as ones who've been changed and will be part of that fair city. And if Christ is a king, Christ has redeemed us, 
Christ has purchased a kingdom for himself, the covenant charter that we read in the scriptures are our marching orders. If we believe upon him, we don't just get to live the way we always did. We must always be trans uh, conformed to the image of God, must always be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We don't get to bring everything we want. We must assimilate. We must be like the hymn. We must be and shine as a light in this world. They must assimilate into the city. Because if they don't, verse 12, they're going to be shut out. For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish. And those nations shall be utterly ruined. They shall not be allowed in. As Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Because one day, if you do not believe upon him, you serve yourselves, you do not serve him, you shall perish. And those nations shall be utterly ruined. They shall not be allowed in to that city. It's a welcoming city. It's a blessed city. Come, serve him. Come and serve the Lord. But it, and the reason it is a place, it is welcoming, but the reason it shall shut people out is it because it is a holy city. Verses 13 through 17. We see how fair and holy the city is in verses 13 and 14. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. As we all know that the greatest era as far as prosperity in the Old Covenant was under whom? You would all say Solomon, right? He spread the furthest. He had the most prosperity. We see this in uh, Psalm 72. And this image is in view here. That is, we see the greatest era in Israel's history as far as prosperity is used to describe uh, something far greater than that era, the glory of Lebanon. He uses the cedars of Lebanon. 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. Hiram of Tyre is the one who gives them to him. And so the glory of Lebanon shall come. Everything shall come to you. All these blessed things shall beautify this place. To beautify the place of my sanctuary, I will make the place of my feet glorious. God is glorious. God is wonderful. And as such, he's going to make the place where he dwells with his people glorious as well. He's going to make the place where he dwells with his people beautiful. And he's going to make his people beautiful that we might dwell with him. And so we get to dwell with him, this fair and holy city. But notice it's also a just place. Verse 14, also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And all those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. The persecute will persecute, uh, those who persecute, they will bow. Those ones who brought pain and sorrow to the people will one day bow before the ones who live in this fair city. It's a holy city. They shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. It's the city of the Lord, the place where he dwells and the place where his people dwell with him. A place where there is no night, a place where there is no unrighteousness, a place of great hope, a place of great beauty, a place of great safety, and a place of great glory dwelling with God forever. So it's a fair and holy city. But it's also a restored city, verses 15 through 18. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you. 
She was a forsaken city. We go from Solomon's day to the people into captivity. She was nothing. She was a husk of what she once was. Perhaps you've seen pictures of places you went to as a kid and one day, and it's no longer what it once was. Or you see pictures of uh, different places from earlier eras and the modern kind of picture of what it looks like and it's totally different. Well, Jerusalem would have been that place that would have had greatness under Solomon, would have been nothing, and the people would have been concerned and reminiscing and sad about what happened, but that city that has been forsaken and no one goes through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, the joy of many generations, a place of joy forevermore. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk the breasts of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob." The place of salvation, the place of holiness, the place of great joy of many generations. And the reason is it's because of the one who shines in that place. All the Gentiles again shall come and all Gentiles shall be part of it. And it shall be a beautiful and blessed place. The joy of the city forevermore. But also we see it's going to be a city of safety. Verses 17 and 18. A city of Glory and a city of safety. Instead of bronze, it'll be gold. Instead of iron, it will be silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. But I also will make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Where do you flee for safety? Isn't it Zion? And the reason we flee to Zion is because of its light. And the city belongs to the Holy One of Israel, and he is going to make it a place of righteousness. Your magistrates, your officers, violence, verse 18, shall no longer be heard in your land. Can't say the same for certain parts of uh, North America as things degenerate, uh, possibly, when we see certain laws put into place. I mean, some people feel less and less safe. We want a place of safety. We want a place where we can go. We're not fearful of certain things. And Zion uh, is that place. Neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. Nothing shall be wasted. Nothing shall be removed. Nothing shall be, uh, no violence shall be in that place. And you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Because it's salvation that brings one to Zion. And as a result of entering into that place, we sing praises to his name before his presence with exceeding joy because of what he has done. And so the reason we can do this is because of Christ, who is the light of the world. But we must recognize and talk about what it means for us. We are called what, brethren? The lamp. Aren't we? Aren't we the ones who, as we wait in this intermediate state, you see, there is this flow I'm trying to emphasize here. We see as fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. He is that light. And then we can also recognize that in the intermediate state that his body is meant to be a light that shines. We see the new creation has been inaugurated in him, but as we await for its consummation, in the meantime, in the intermediate time, in the middle time, according to Hebrews 12, we come to what? Zion. We come to Zion now in part. We don't come to Sinai, but we come to Zion. And as because it is the place where Yahweh dwells. It is the place where Yahweh is with his people because Christ himself is the tabernacle. Christ himself is the temple by which the Gentiles, by which we, by which his church can dwell with him. And so as his body, we are called to then shine as lights. 
shine as lights individually, Philippians 2, in a crooked and perverse generation. You know what he goes on to say with respect to how we do that? Don't whine. (laughs) Don't grumble. Don't complain. (laughs) That's what he says. How do we shine as lights? Don't whine or grumble or complain. Or Matthew chapter 5, we are meant to be that city on a hill that shines that light. So individually, we're meant to shine as a light by functioning like citizens of heaven, by acting like citizens of the kingdom of heaven as we live in this intermediate time, as we live also as citizens of Canada. So there's the individual part of it, but there is also the institutional part of it. How is God's presence spread to the ends of the earth? It is by the church, isn't it? Matthew chapter 28, I do believe the Great Commission is speaking about the church, but especially in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. It's been a while. It's been years. I can say that. We've been going long enough. It's been years uh, since we went through the book of Ephesians. But we see that the one who reigns supreme in Ephesians 1, Christ who's been raised from the dead, all things have been put under his feet and gave him, this is verse 22 of Ephesians 1, to be head over all things to the church, which is the, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Talking about the presence of God. How is God's favorable presence spread? It is through the church who is his body. Driving to that benediction in chapter 3, where he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. And just preceding that, verse 19, that we might know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. How are we filled with the fullness of God? It's by the spirit and by the church as it advances. We are meant to be that alluring light that is different from the world. The church is meant to be different from the world. We are regular people saved out of the world, but the church is meant to function differently because it's a totally different country. We're not supposed to win the world with worldly things. We're supposed to be that different place that people come in and go, this is just a little bit different. They should feel a little bit uncomfortable. If someone is new to church, they should walk in and go, this is a different country. It's like when we go to a different country and we're a little bit uncomfortable because we don't speak the language and then someone comes in, we need to be welcoming and kind and we want them to learn all that language, but the church is meant to be different. We are meant to proclaim the good news of God and proclaim the praises of God, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 52, and certainly that was John the Baptist's purpose, which I do believe when Zechariah is prophesying about his son in Luke chapter 1, he definitely has Isaiah chapter 60 in view. Isaiah 60 is referred to a lot in the New Testament. But Zechariah is prophesying after his mouth finally opens up. That would be nice for his wife to have his mouth shut for a long period of time. But now his mouth is open again. He says something very glorious. Talking about his son, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Time about Christ. To give light to those who sit in darkness 
and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, Isaiah 9 is in view. Certainly Isaiah chapter 60 is in view. But Zion is meant to be a glorious city according to the scriptures because Christ is our glorious light. Henry says, they shall come to be nursed at thy side to have their education with thee from their cradle. The church's children must be nursed at her side, not sent out to be nursed among strangers. There where alone the unadulterated milk of the word is to be had, must the church's newborn babes be nursed that they may grow thereby, 1 Peter 2. Those that would enjoy the dignities and privileges of Christ's family must submit to the discipline of it. This is the fair city. The church is the fair city. We do it according to the scriptures. Yes, there are going to be minor nuances and differences, but the church is meant to be different from the world. The church is meant to operate according to what the scriptures say. And if we do that, and if we function and shine as a light in the world, more than likely we will be persecuted, right? More than likely people won't like that. But there is a promise for the persecuted church in Revelation 3, which I also believe alludes back to Isaiah. But in Revelation chapter 3, verse 9, to the dead church, the church in Sardis, oh, sorry, the faithful church, the church in Philadelphia, he says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogues of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Christ loves his church, and those who persecute, those who afflict, they shall come and bow before the ones whom they persecuted because Christ is the one who loves his people. So the church is meant to shine as a light because Christ is the light. That's the welcoming light. We want to welcome people in, want people to hear the word of God, but it is a new country that they come to and we need to be cognizant of that when they come in. But all are welcome to come, all are welcome to, we all want all to believe on Christ, but all are welcome to come in and hear the word of God. So that's the city's welcoming light. Let's then look thirdly and finally at the city's everlasting light in verses 19 through 22. Again, using the creation imagery to describe the eternal state, we now have moved. We move from what Christ has done when he first came, what the church is meant to do in the interim, to what the eternal state shall look like, the new creation in its fullness. We see, verse 19, the sun shall no longer be your light by day. Nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. And your God, your glory. This creation is passing away. And there is a greater new creation. And in that new creation, the Lord will be the light. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. And the days of mourning shall be ended. The sun shall never set, the moon shall never withdraw, because the Lord is the everlasting light. And with some of the greatest blessings of that, we see in verses 21 through and 22. Also your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. Cannot be broken, cannot be taken away. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. It's a new creation that is filled with righteousness and a new creation that is filled with praise to God most high forevermore and world without ends. 
I will be glorified. This is what I have done, and I will be that light of that fair city for an undeserving people where they shall be righteous forever. Verse 22, a little one shall come, become a thousand, and a small one, a strong nation. Notice the timing. The Lord increases, but the Lord, it's in the Lord's timing. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. 2 Peter 3.13 probably has this in view because we have to understand for Isaiah and the remnant, this was all future. Christ's coming was all future to them. And thankfully the light has come and we are meant to shine as that light's now. We come to Zion, we are the new creation, but we still look for a new heavens and new earth. And we want it to come now, right now. Uh, but then verse 13 of chapter 3 Nevertheless, of first, uh, Second Peter chapter 3, talking about the day of the Lord, God's promise is not slack. The people haven't missed it. God is going to come again. We just don't know. Can't, I don't know how many times we need to say that. We do not know the day or the hour when the sun is going to come back. We have no idea. And so thankfully, the encouraging thing is, nevertheless, we, everything's going to melt. Everything's going to be burned. But verse 13, nevertheless, we according to his promise, we according to his time, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We want that, don't we? We want that in its fullness. We want Christ to come back. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know that when he comes back, he shall usher in the new heavens and new earth forever and we shall be with him forever. And as God tarries, it brings the salvation of his elect. As God waits, as we wait for him, we th thankfully he is bringing in his people and more people, more Gentiles to come into this fair city. But the Lord will come again and the Lord will bring in uh, this new heavens and new earth and he shall shine as a light forever. We'll finish with Isaiah, Revelation 21 and 22. Again, a lot of allusions <laughs> back to Isaiah 60. I was quite shocked uh, when I was going through this, but quite a lot, all very important. But we see in Revelation 21, the glory of the new Jerusalem. There's no temple because the Lord is the temple. The lamb is its temple. There's no need for the sun or the moon to shine it for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. And we see in verse 24 of chapter 21, and though the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. He goes on to talk about the river of life. And then again, no need for a lamp or light for the Lord gives them light. We see the time is coming. It's going to be near. He's going to come quickly, quickly, according to God's terms, not ours. And then we see even then the unjust shall be out of it. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral 
and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. But the hope is, brethren, for the weary saints, for the weary people of God, we have this hope, we have this promise of a place that we shall go to where there is no night. We don't have it yet, but we long for it. And we know it shall come again, just as Christ has come the first time as the light of the world, just as he is shining now and he is shining through his church, so too will he shine forever in the new heavens and new earth. Don't you want that? Don't you long for that? Don't you hope for that? Don't worry about this world too much. Look to Christ and the new heavens and new earth that awaits when he comes again. Let us pray. Our Christ, we are thankful that you are the light of the world, and we are thankful that you have shone as a light in our hearts, shown us our sin and our need for Christ Jesus, and we're thankful that he is the one uh, who has brought light to the world. And we are thankful that the church is meant to be that light as his body to spread his glory to the ends of the earth. Thank you that you spread your glory to the ends of the earth through the church. And we ask and pray that as churches, we would shine as lights, that we would be faithful to our God, what you call us to, according to your word, that we would not be concerned with what the world thinks or what the world wants, uh, but that you would win people with the gospel, you would win people with preaching, you would win people with the means of grace, uh, rather than puppets, ponies, and programs. So we are thankful uh, that you are a good God. We're thankful for your ways, and may we um, be faithful in this. We also pray that you would help us as we are walking uh, to that celestial city. Thank you for the, the rest we have along the way, but we do long for the new heavens and new earth when Christ shall come again. It is a dark world in which we live, but we're thankful that Christ is our light and we are meant to shine as lights, but we do hope for a place where there is no more violence. We do hope for a place where there is safety. We hope for a place where there is great prosperity. Hope for a place where there is righteousness, and we're thankful that that place is with you. So thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, and we ask and pray that you would help us as we go into the world. Give us the strength that we need, and we pray that you be honored and glorified in all that we do. In the name of Christ, amen.